You're listening to Beauty and Impact, the show that gets valuable insights from changemakers disrupting the norms of beauty, wellness, and sustainability. We tackle topics like the impacts of beauty ingredients on our health and the environment, where people of color fit into the clean beauty conversation, sustainable beauty solutions, and so much more. We're your hosts and sisters, environmental activist Ashley Renee Insanwu and clinical skincare industry insider Jasmine Hill, here to spill all the green tea on beauty and sustainability. Let's go. Hey, hey, hope you're having a beautiful day. Welcome back to the Beauty and Impact Podcast. So today's guest will be of particular interest to you if you've been looking for an affordable, easily accessible, clean, and sustainable skincare brand, because we are talking to Marta Cross, the founder and CEO of Apto Skincare, a minimalist, cruelty-free, vegan, of course, sustainable, and affordable brand with products costing less than $20. In this episode, we're spilling all the green tea with Marta Cross on starting Apto and how the brand has grown slowly and why she took the decision recently to streamline Apto's product line from over 40 products to just seven hero products, which we at Beauty and Impact applaud her for making such a brave decision in an industry that tends to push us to buy more beauty products than we actually need. And it's mm-hmm. fueled by the latest and newest, greatest thing. But before we get into all of that, Let's jump into some beauty and sustainability news. Jazz, I'll let you kick it off. What's going on in the beauty spaces? So I've been in San Francisco last week for a beauty personalization conference. So I'm a little bit more exhausted than usual. Um, The last time that that conference took place was February 2020. So it was really cool to see all the different software and advancements that have pushed forward since that last time. Because at least for me, like as a consumer, even if the product isn't a, let's say like a personalized formula, I do want a very seamless, personalized experience. So that can encompass anything from, you know, social media to e-commerce to store. And I'm really interested in the future of personalization um, as it relates to personal care. But I will say, I don't see it done very well and very easily at scale yet. So I did have very high hopes for um, a brand that's called Function of Beauty when it moved to Target for hair care. But honestly, when I did see it in store, the section was just so overwhelming that I immediately retreated and just reordered from another brand that I was familiar with. But overall, like the conference I was at last week, it's very tech meets beauty. And honestly, I was up to my eyeballs in information trying to figure things out like what is beauty going to look like in the metaverse and best examples of NFT usage in the industry um, while we were there. So, you know, not even talking about how it blends into this industry. Um, Ash, like, do you know anything about the metaverse or NFTs? No, not really. It's funny because I was just talking about this with my husband because I was trying to get him to explain it to me and I'm still a little lost. Well, I'm going to stop you because honestly, that's where I feel like a lot of us are. So maybe we'll invite someone on who can have, you know, help facilitate a deeper dive. But what I did want to bring in today actually relates back to an article I read in Women's Wear Daily when I was flying back. So Nielsen IQ's Black Beauty Consumers Buying Power, which talked about how Black beauty consumers regularly over-index 
that's like a fancy word for saying that they spend more than other consumer types that they monitored. Um, on beauty spend, with the buying power, it was only expected to grow. So I'm going to rewind for one second, because if you have no idea what Nielsen IQ is, it's it's the industry leader in global measurement and data analytics, and it's the most trusted source for retail and consumer intelligence, um, especially if you're a brand. So in 2020, they actually released this report specifically about Black consumers in the U.S., and it showed Black buying power in the U.S. hit a um, I think a total of like $1.4 trillion in 2020. And this new report shows it's expected to reach at least $1.8 trillion in 2024. Now, what's interesting to point out, which I can't imagine being a surprise, is that despite the growing power of Black consumers, brands have yet to cater to them properly. So in this article, it said that we still see a lot of gaps in skincare and cosmetics. Either shade ranges aren't represented or in terms of skincare, the products are not developed for their skin types. There's been so much press and focus on Black consumers and Black-owned brands, and those gaps surprised us. In hair care, brands have done a really good job, but that same focus has not been applied to skincare or cosmetics. Hmm. Okay, so was there like anything that stood out for you in the report? Um, I was actually surprised to see that 54% of Black consumers are under 35 compared to 46% of the total U.S. population being under 35. And then that just means to me that there's a lot more opportunity to give other generations like our children the opportunity Mm -hmm. for better for you products that really cater to them. Yeah, for sure. It seems like the report, you know, the report calls out um, hair care as performing well, but I guess that skincare and makeup maybe have like a lot further to go to reach black consumers more effectively, would you say? Yeah, I was discussing the article with someone before, you know, leaving San Francisco and kind of similarly, like they were very surprised that makeup was even mentioned because, you know, the first thing that they said was, well, there's Fenty, right? (laughs) But, you know, in my opinion, I feel like Fenty can't be the only one pulling up to the table. And, you know, skin just has so far to go from the very root level of concepting, you know, a product. And what we've seen from the development process Even the ingredient suppliers, you know, when looking through technical data sheets to see how an ingredient performed on something like dark spots, you get excited because you see something really promising or some unpromising ingredient find, right? Like there's this exotic glitter rose from East Antarctica harvested under the blue moon, and it shows it fades pigmentation by 75% in one week. And then you actually start digging deeper into the data and you see that they only tested on lighter skin tones, like Uh Fitzpatrick types one through three. So of course that's going to skew those results than if they had actually incorporated darker skin types into their study. So, you know, skin of color technically has these differences, like skin has less ceramides. There's more trans epidermal water loss is more prone to hyperpigmentation, but the industry as a whole is just really starting to explore what that means in terms of actually taking care of our skin. Great. Okay. I hear you, sis. 
That actually transitions us perfectly to products we found this week because Jasmine, you found a new makeup brand with shades for humans of color. Yeah, so my spotlight is technically a new brand at Target called Thread, but it is by a beauty industry OG and I have to say also fellow FAMU grad, Melissa Butler. So I just had to fill that family part in when I can. But anyway, I finally found it at Target. Um, Melissa, if you don't know, she does a brand called The Lip Bar. And so Lip Bar is at Target and Thread is now like their younger, you know, sibling. (laughs) And I finally found it at a Target when I was out of town. So for just $8, I scooped up almost all of their vegan reds that were in store because I'm so ready to wear lip color again, because I really haven't touched much but lip gloss and lip oils for the past two years. So I'm definitely excited about this product. Oh my God, same. I hardly ever wear lipstick now because my face is always covered by a mask. Oh, okay. So that actually leads me into my product of the week. So speaking of, you know, colors, I want to highlight a brand that I have loved for so many years. And I just kind of rekindled my love for this brand because I just did my first family photo shoot um, with my little one-year-old babies. This is growing so fast. So we're like, we need to do a family photo shoot. Baby beyond. And so we did our family photo shoot and okay. You know, I usually have a very minimalist makeup routine. So I was like, Oh, I, I, I got to do my face for this. So I was like, I dusted off, um, this old eyeshadow palette that I had. I bought it a year ago, actually with you jazz. when we went to Ulta and we, we picked this up and it was by KVD and Oh my gosh, what I love about this brand is the, the, palettes are fantastic man we got this eyeshadow palette that is just gorgeous the colors are beautiful there was just so much variety oh it was so glittery and sparkly and oh I just added that as a pop of color to my eyelids and I can't tell you just how beautiful I felt just by adding a little bit of eyeshadow from that palette which is my absolute favorite the reason why I'm so hyped up about this brand is because it's all vegan and they like pride themselves on that I just I really want to support brands that have those kind of ethics embedded within them. So I I love KVD. I love that whole brand. The eyeshadow palette is bomb. They actually have a new one called Planet Fanatic Fully Recyclable Wet Dry Eyeshadow Palette. It had really bad reviews. So (laughs) it's really crazy because they have such good reviews on their website, but the Planet Fanatic Fully Recyclable one, which is, you know, the sustainable one apparently had like less than stellar reviews. So, but I just wanted to throw that out there. But I, I think the palette looks really pretty like in the pictures. Wait, wait, did we forget about your sustainability news segment? Do you have any um, headlines you want to share in the sustainability space? Oh, technically, I guess I kind of did impact for my beauty segment today. I guess so. Well, okay, I'll keep my my sustainability news segment short then. So the sustainability news that I want to highlight is Soil Association Certification released an organic beauty and well-being market report for 2022, detailing the progress of the industry through the pandemic and what it forecasts for the year ahead. Now, post-pandemic, one of the key trends found by the Soil Association is the increased demand for transparency in the beauty industry, particularly in relation to the supply chain. Deloitte actually did a study that concluded that 38% of consumers have stopped purchasing from certain beauty and personal care brands due to ethical and sustainability concerns. That 
warms my heart. That makes me happy. And, you know, 38%, I might as well just round up to 50%. I'm going to say half of consumers feel this way. (laughs) But I think that's exciting because demand drives supply, right? So, you know, as long as the people continue to put that pressure on beauty brands to be more impact driven, I think the closer we're just going to get to creating beauty products that prioritize people and the environment. But, you know, clarity and messaging is key, which you know, brings us into greenwashing, right? So I think the the more um, transparency we have, the less greenwashing we'll have in the beauty industry. So I think that's exciting. But that's it for my sustainability news. So we brought you beauty and sustainability news. We talked to you about some of our favorite product picks of the week. We're just ready to go right into the main event. So next up, we are chatting with Marta Cross, a seasoned wellness entrepreneur and the founder of Apto Skincare. Barcelona-born and Brooklyn-based, Marta spent much of her childhood on a tennis court as a professional player. After retiring from the sport and graduating in Spain and getting an MBA in France, she landed an array of corporate jobs that took her around the globe, living in 10 cities in 10 years. Um, Goals. Marta spent time working in fashion in New York City before launching her first independent venture, The Ritualist, an at-home facial service that disrupted the traditional traditional spa model. Honing her business skills, Marta launched Apto in 2015 to create clean and affordable beauty products for all. Marta's vision for Apto goes well beyond skin deep. She firmly believes in the interconnectedness between physical, mental, and emotional well-being and has seen firsthand how beauty products can help someone feel their best. Apto's thoughtful formulation, production, and manufacturing processes all of which happen at the brand's manufacturing facility in New Jersey, reflect her keen desire to promote a more environmentally conscious, sustainable future. And we stand a founder that cares about sustainability. So without further ado, here we go. Here we go. Ah, okay, so we're really, really excited about our guest today, Miss. Marta. So we are just going to jump right into this conversation because we've been dying to talk to you ever since we first came across um, your brand Apto. And I personally love everything that it stands for after just, you know, doing the research that I did into your brand and what you created. I honestly became like a true fan of it. So I want you to share with everyone who's listening what Apto is and why you created it. Like why, why was it so important to you to you know, challenge some of these traditional skincare methods and, you know, and I'll just let you go ahead and dive in and talk about it instead of having me fangirl (laughs) over it. So you tell our listeners, you know, why you created it and like what it even is. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is so nice to be here with you guys. So we've actually been around for a while, you know, we are not one of these like amazing up and coming brands like we kind of like, I feel like we are a bit of a dinosaur at this point because we launched in 2015. And initially, we launched as part of like our sister company, The Ritualist, that does uh, skincare services in, in New York, in San Francisco, in LA. And it was just a brand that we launched to perform those services. And clients started asking about it. They were like, oh, I love the serum that you use in the treatment or, you know, like, I love that cream. Can I buy it? So that's how it actually started. It was initially some products that we put together to do some nice facials. And then it kind of took off from there. And then, you know, it it's just kind of like 
started evolving when we launched in retail. So in 2017, we launched at Urban Outfitters. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was very fast. It was like a very fast opportunity. And we took it, you know, as a good entrepreneur, you just, you know, you see something and you you try to make the most of it. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time of the launch, I was like, okay, so what do we stand for? Like, what are we doing? What am I doing with Apto? And and so that was kind of like one of the first pivots that we took with the brand. And, um, you know, I at that time I was pregnant and I had gone through a lot of uh, fertility treatments. So I was super aware about toxics and, and, you know, chemicals and so on. And obviously I had the expertise of, you know, being in the industry. And so I decided that I wanted to do some benchmark and buy some products that were in this new kind of like clean beauty. You know, remember that was in 2016. So it was at the very beginning. It was not a thing as it was right now. It was so new. Yeah, yeah, it was super new. And I was living in New York and the only place where you could buy clean beauty was ABC Carpets. And I walked there and I spent like $65 on a cleanser. And I was in shock. It's like, this is not possible. And and it was an amazing cleanser. Granted, I frankly, I still buy it every now and then, but it just felt wrong. It was, <laughs> you know, how is it possible that to get something that is good for you? Uh, and your baby, you need to get yeah. out so much money. So that was one of the first aha moments for me. It was like, no, I want to make good formulations available to more people. And I I was lucky that I had a very good advisor and partner at the time that was already doing uh, all our formulas. And I we started digging, you know, and of course, more like better ingredients and better raw materials are more costly. But they do not justify the, you know, enormous price difference that you could see back then. Yeah. And so that was one of the first things that we decided as a brand. And we stuck to it. Uh, all of our products are between 5 and $20. And that's a very important pillar of the brand. And then another thing happened, another pivotal moment, I guess, is that in 2018, I merged the business with my factory. So I had always been wow. working with the same factories, uh, family run small business in New Jersey. And, you know, we were having an amazing relationship. The brand was starting to grow and, you know, we had a very good working relationship. And so we decided to kind of like make it official and that allowed us to have so much control and transparency on everything that we do. All our formulas are ours. You know, it's not that we go into a lab library and select things. Yeah. <laughs> we make them from scratch. And so we have a lot of control and at the same time, accountability on, on every decision that we make about our products. And at the same time, you know, we cut the middleman. So we are able to pass on those discounts to to our customers and keep those affordable prices. So that was kind of like another big moment for the brand. Definitely, you know, something that has helped the brand enormously having that control on everything that we put out there and um, being able to be very quick to market. You know, I'm sure you guys are, are very familiar with this, but like from the moment that you have an idea until you sit in front of a few factories, you get a few pricing, you get uh, formulas and, and so on. It can be a very long process. So kind of like accelerating that has been, has been super fun because actually it's a part of the business that I enjoy a lot. And I guess the third big moment for the brand was in 2020. So, yeah. you know, we opened our first store in February 15, 2020 in Williamsburg. So that lasted two weeks, of course. The time, yeah. was, you know, I mean, it was at the beginning, like beginning of March. Nobody really knew what was going on. And 
I left and I told my colleague who was running the store, well, you know, like maybe we close for a couple of weeks. I'm going to be away on a holiday anyway, so I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And so I left and my parents were joining from Barcelona, where I'm from. And, you know, we just got there thinking that we would be there for a week. Like I was actually traveling with a small suitcase, trying to, you know, travel light. And uh, <laughs> one tries to do with uh, with young kids. But um, anyway, long yeah, I, I bow down to you for that. <laughs> one time that I managed to fly with a <laughs> it's the time that I got stuck. So yes, actually, like a couple of weeks after we arrived, all, you know, flights started to get canceled. My parents were stuck yeah. there. They couldn't come in the US. It was a, you know, very strange moment. And so we ended up staying in that island for 99 days. And so at the beginning, I was panicking because, you know, like the, everything was closed. Yeah, there's no Amazon, you know, like I couldn't buy anything, uh, but that lasted just a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, not having things and not having to make decisions about what to wear or what to put in my face became extremely liberating. And it was one of those aha moments where I pick up the phone, I call my partner and I was like, I know what I want for me. And I think that's what we need to do for Apto. And so... You know, I will say that it took me a long time to realize that, it, you know, when you arrive to a moment of authenticity where you are solving a problem that you have, when you are putting out there what you want, it just, it just, everything becomes so much easier, right? In in terms yeah. of trying to please this buyer persona that they always tell you that you need to create. Who is your buyer persona? Well, I was like, I'm my buyer persona and I'm going <laughs> to tell what I want. And and, you know, what I wanted to capture from that experience was this uh, feeling of effortless, of like not um, having to spend energy or time on small decisions that at the end of the day have small impacts, but at the same time, they take yeah. so much of your mental space. So, you know, for us, like that was the moment of like, OK, that's that's what we think that many other women want. And, you know, it's not a question of like, really liking beauty or cosmetics. I'm like a beauty junkie. I love it, but I just don't have the time anymore on my daily basis. Like every now and then I will, you know, take an hour off on a Sunday and I will be experimenting with serums and masks and like a hot bath and all these. But on my day to day, I want something that is easy, that it's nice, that I know how to use right away, that I don't need to go on YouTube yeah. or Reddit to understand how to layer it or how to mix different ingredients. I just want easy. And that um, that's what we offer with Apto. So we went from nearly 40 SKUs to just seven. That was a very, you know, hard <laughs> Trying to do that tight edit. Yeah. Um, four, you say 40 wow. to seven. Yes. Like different masks for different skin types, for different yeah. concerns, different cleansers for different textures. And I was like, listen, let's just uh, focus on the crowd pleasers and in the ones that work for most skin types. So... You know, like I always say that whatever you can do with products, I can offer you with Apto. But if you ask like, oh, I was telling you before when we were chatting that I had some melasma after I had kids. So I think that's something that it's hard for, you know, over the counter products to fix. Like I think usually you will need some advice from a dermatologist or someone. Right. And 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 so I think I apply the same philosophy for Apto. It's like, this is like going to the gym is what you do for yourself on a daily basis to feel good. Nobody's promising you transformations or, you know, like anything that we cannot deliver. 
It's just products that will work for your skin type that will make you feel good and clean and nourished and hydrated and and that are easy, you know. And and that's what we put out there in 2021. Well, it was like the end of 2020. And we got a super fast uh, response from the customers, but also our retail partners. And, and so that was a very exciting moment because I always say that, you know, we don't have like a, one of those super fast success stories. Like it's been a very <laughs> long journey. I mean, I go to this panel sometimes and people are like, how do you handle super fast growth? And I was like, I've never had super <laughs> fast <laughs> I don't know that life, so I can't answer that question. It's like that TikTok. It's like, no, actually, that all did not come together as fast as I thought it was. Can we skip to the good part? Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. That's it, exactly. (laughs) You can't skip to the good part. There's no skipping. Like, it takes time. Like, of all the problems I have growing to on one of them so <laughs> but um you know now it feels so good like now we're doing very well and this has been a very fun last few months and like when I look back even in the last I don't know you know not even two years it's changed so much like I was basically running all marketing and sales on my own and my partner was mostly taking care of logistics and and operations and so on and then now we have a you know, a five people team in marketing and sales. And it's so exciting. And, and wow. yeah, and you know, I, I don't know, it, it just really feels good because when you work so hard for something and it's, and it's not easy to get, I feel like when you start getting some traction, you, you really enjoy it. And, and of course now I have a different set of challenges and, and problems and it never ends, right? Like you enjoy a bit of a, you know, <laughs> of a 40, and then uh, five minutes yeah. later, I'm like panicking, like, oh my God, no, what am I going to do with this? And how am I going to make sure? So, well, as they say, more money, more yeah. problems. So the bigger you get, the more problems is going to come come with I that. So, I, uh, when, you <laughs> yeah, know, get prepared. It's just going to be a new stage every single time. Yeah. As a guest, um, I got excited because actually I didn't connect the two brands together. Um, so my world is more like Durham esthetician. Um, so I was familiar with the ritualist. And so kind of like, you know, hearing a little bit more about your story and um, even just like the paring down, right, of like the 40 to the seven, it's something that I see so often kind of like in the spa world, because like you think through like, okay, I need to have like something very particular for like every single different like type and concern. I came from a company at one point, we had 125 different SKUs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, I, wow. kudos. Yeah. You know, so kudos to you for being able to like, like that down and kind of, you know, like in listening a little bit about like that, you know, realization in that 2020 moment for you, it also seemed like a moment of sustainability in that way too, right? Of like getting people to kind of like pare down some of their choices, really getting people to kind of like think through the things that are really kind of like transitioning their skin in some way. And I think, you know, one thing that really stands out to me about your brand is that you're able to kind of like take, you know, kind of like the story you're talking about, you know, in New York in 2015, 2016, there was this almost like access issue, right? Where if you really wanted to kind of like change your products around, you were starting to feel like, okay, what is this like 
better for you movement and moment happening, but a lot of things are just like so out of price range. And the fact that you're able to kind of do this line that is like so easily accessible for so many people, I think it's just amazing. And it's definitely not something that you see often because a lot of times people are like, well, if I'm going to, you know, check all these boxes, I'm going to also charge like the higher luxury higher mastige prices for it, you know? So I think like for you in particular, you know, it's just like, it's really great to kind of have these like easier accessible um, products for people that, you know, more people can kind of enjoy, you know, but I'm sure you've heard like um, supply chain is out of control. You know, I mean, just today I received uh, an invoice for like our latest shipment of packaging and I wanted to cry. It's like three or four times more than we were paying two years ago. And then also in our case, you know, you were talking about sustainability when when we pared down the portfolio. I was like, okay, now that we're changing everything, let's upgrade our packaging as well. So we moved from virgin plastic to aluminum and post-consumer resins. And these materials are way more expensive. I mean, aluminum, it's many times more expensive than, than virgin plastic. But even VCR, post-consumer resins, a sugar cane, any alternative material is way more expensive. So we really kind of like made an effort there to, to keep our prices while we were increasing our cost. But I remember, you know, feeling so overwhelmed at some point because that was in my head of course I've been in the industry for a while you could see that you know all this information about the impact that beauty negative impact that beauty was having in the environment and so I this was in my head for a very long time but the thing is that I always say that I was frozen because I couldn't find the perfect solution to everything that I wanted to solve and then at some point I saw a post on Instagram and I don't even remember who wrote it, but, and it was about fashion, but it was like, we don't need one brand doing yeah. it perfectly. We need hundreds or thousands of brands doing better. And that was like, yeah. Oh, I can do that. I cannot do perfect because I'm like, you know, I don't have the expertise. I don't have the resources. If like these big companies are not doing perfect, then I won't be able to do it either right away, but I can definitely do better. So, okay. What can I do better? And one of the first things was also like the most sustainable thing you can do is to create less. So how can I create less? And that's like less products that I'm going to put in the market. Every product that I put out there needs to be 100% justified and an internal commitment to be like for every category, I won't have more than 10 products because I don't think we need them. So I have that maximum that it's kind of like self-imposed, but it's like, okay, if I wanted to launch another mask, I would need to maybe, you know, substitute it for the one I have or make other decisions. But I I just want to be super conscious because it's so easy to be continuously launching things. The market wants it. Customers want newness. PR wants newness. Press, you know, influencers, everybody wants it. What's new? (laughs) Exactly. That's like the first question. So kind of like trying to balance, you know, being a business that wants to do well, with our pillars and our values, it's something that I kind of like have to juggle with every single day. But it's part of what I feel like it's part of what being a leader is, yeah. you know, like making this this type of hard choice. There were many other like these, like some of them may seem futile. Like we got rid of our unit boxes, like the, the carton boxes where we used to put our products. Outside carton. And we love okay. those because for many years we did uh, partnerships with emerging female artists. And so we did collaborations where mm. they would like mix these amazing drawings in our packaging. 
And it's like very precious real estate for a beauty company where you can write about your brand and explain things and put QR codes and all these things. But at the end of the day, we're like, do you need to generate this waste? And the answer is no, really, you know, like, I mean, yes, they look nicer, but you don't need it. And so now even when we ship our aluminum bottles, sometimes people would um, email us like, hey, it got dented. And we're like, listen, this is a badge of honor. You're doing good. We're not using bubble wrap. We're not using carton units because it's better for the environment. And if it has a little dent, that's like good. Put it in your shelfie, take a picture and be proud of it. So and that message that. resonated yes. with our customers because they kind of like partake into these values. And then they were like, oh, this is amazing. I, I actually really love my dance, you know, in the bottle. So, um, yeah, you reframed it. We for kind them. of reframe it. But this, because again, it comes from a place of authenticity. And that's how I actually feel, you know, like yeah. I, I was in luxury goods before. So I have this tendency to aim for perfection. And then, you know, it's just like, actually, you know, there's a lot of beauty in doing things this way where you put your value first and, and, you know, the looks and the perceptions later. And that's how I try to make this difference. But yeah, it's a long road. (laughs) I love that. See, you're, you're speaking my love language because I am all about less, like less is better, you know, cause like my sister, she's like the beauty junkie. Right. And then I'm like the sustainability junkie. So, you know, she's really taught me a lot about the beauty side. And then like, I'm always emphasizing the sustainability side. So when I hear, you know, brands talking about, you know, putting the planet before profit, it just makes my my heart warm because I, I understand like just being in like Jasmine's world of beauty and skincare, like the amount of excess that can come along, yeah. you know, in this in this world. So like I see so many brands like prioritizing profits over the health of the planet. So when I hear people like you, you know, make these, like you know, kind of have like these come to Jesus moments where you're like, you know what, wait, wait a minute. Like we don't need to be perfect. <laughs> you know, we need, we need to be, you know, we need to worry less about aesthetics and more about like, okay, what's better for the planet? Like, do things really need to be perfect? Like, are we that vain as a society that we need like a product, we need product packaging to look perfect and, you know, ding free in order for us to, you know, put it on our shelf? No, absolutely not. It's not even that serious when you think about it. So I'm so excited to hear someone like you, like a brand founder, like acknowledge that and like embrace it and encourage your customers to embrace imperfections because that can also, that whole concept kind of spills over into just like our whole self-image as a whole too in beauty, right? Like we, we should be embracing imperfections instead of in the beauty industry, kind of pushing this notion that, being perfect is the goal. We should never aim for perfect. Like we don't need to be perfect, you know, beauty wise or beauty packaging wise. (laughs) I love that. You know, it's funny. You talked a lot about like the complexity of packaging, right? And a little bit about like how you switched over to, you know, not only like aluminum, but then also trying to avoid um, virgin plastic. And I think, you know, on the consumer side of things, like in the original side of like this, like sustainable beauty um, moment, the first impression that I would have had was, okay, well, all I need to do is go for something that's in like a glass container. And then I'm now perfectly sustainable, right? And then digging through things a lot more, I'm realizing that that's not 
necessarily like the only way for things to kind of move forward and really understanding a lot more about you know, reusing plastic within like the stream, right? And how important that is to really make sure that there are brands who are reusing things so that there is even a a cycle for that as well. Um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit like, you know, as a brand founder, you know, speaking to who our audience is and like the customers, right? Like why should customers kind of avoid things that are made with um, virgin plastic? And what is it maybe that they're looking for? Like if they're looking at your container, like what is that signal maybe like on the container or on the box or whatever that they are purchasing something that's not um, virgin plastic anymore? Yeah. So it's actually a super complex subject. And I've been learning a lot in the last few years about plastics and materials and packaging, but it's frankly a work in progress. I, yeah. I do not have all the answers to all the questions. I mean, even in our case, our goal is to be 100% virgin plastic free, but we are not right now. Um, there's still some components of the packaging, for instance, the caps, you know, the mist caps mm-hmm. in the aluminum bottles that are not that are virgin plastic because we haven't been able to find a supplier that can do them with because they are very small parts that can do them with PCR or post-consumer resins or other materials. So in our case, what we do with this plastic that we're still using is we have a partnership with uh, Repurpose uh, Global, which is a platform. And what they do, I don't know if you heard of them, but they oh, are doing sure. great, okay. great work. Basically, what they do is you calculate how much plastic you are generating, and then you finance a project for them to take out of the sea the same amount of plastic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we found that um, very visual, you know. For me, it was like, it's not like sometimes, I mean, it's like, carbon footprint calculation. And it's like, how do they? And this is what's so simple, right? Like It was like, I generate this much plastic and I'm going to, you know, get as much from the sea. So it felt like a, something super simple to do and very aligned yeah. with our values of simplicity as well. Then plastic, it's kind of like a very complicated material. And unfortunately, it's everywhere around us. And uh, as I told you, you know, I I went through very long fertility treatments. And one of the things that I learned through those uh, from even a health perspective was the impact that these plastics can have on our well-being and our fertility even. So which is completely nuts when you think about it. I mean, just eating fish, you know, like they eat these microplastics that that they are in the sea and then you end up having plastics in your system, which is completely nuts. So I think as a society, the message is that we all need to do better with plastics. And that means in our day-to-day lives, in our selection of products, big companies, you know, I mean, um, I'm very, very glad to start reading these big retailers implementing measures to reduce the amount of plastic that they want to see in the packaging of the people that are selling to them. So these are the things that are actually going to move the needle big time, but then it's us as as individuals that can make this decision. So for us, the first one was to try to reduce virgin plastic as much as possible and then try to go with the most sustainable materials. And, you know, you you mentioned it already. It's like um, it's complicated because glass initially can seem like a very um, like a great material. But when you look a bit more into it, into the process, how it's made, the amount of sand that it needs to generate that glass and then how not all the glass is recyclable and it's like super difficult to like any colored glass it's not recyclable automatically so the amount of weight that it has 
So you start computing all these things. And frankly, but that's where I would get a bit blocked. I was like, oh my God, this is so difficult. How am I going to solve this? Like, it was like, I go back to just do better. You know, we can all do better. And that's where I always like, when I start getting overwhelmed and even like decisions at home, you know, like <laughs> composting and where to put it and what can I compost? It's like, come on. Are you doing better than yesterday? Yes. Okay. So you're you're good. So I think uh, for us, it's the same. I mean, ideally, I would love to have all my products in aluminum. So we're working to see how we can make that work. I would love to have more refills for my products. So that's another thing that we're working on. So I think it's like, yeah. for me, it's like always having this mentality of how can I do better and not getting overwhelmed about not being perfect. Again, like we already kind of like touch on that but and so that's that's how we are thinking about packaging another thing that it's really hard and i'm gonna put it out there because maybe some of your uh, listeners will have a solution but it's really hard to find tube suppliers mm. in the u.s or in canada so that's something super complicated we found in europe for instance but like i would love i mean that's another thing that you can do that it has a huge impact like you know buying local in oh, your food, yeah. but also in your in the products and, and the ingredients that you use. So that's something that we try to implement. And sometimes all of a sudden it's it's complicated. But I think there's like a platform that I want to shout out because it's been super helpful in our quest to do better. Uh, it's a no platform way. called Novi and O V I. Do you know so that? So many people mention yeah. them. <laughs> Okay, yeah. great. So I'm glad the secret is out there. So last year we did the Target Accelerator, mm -hmm. which was an amazing experience, the Target Takeoff. And then through them, we got access uh, for free. So that was one of the perks of doing the Accelerator for one year to this Novi platform. And initially, it's great because, I mean, um, you introduce all of your ingredients and yeah. then you select which retailers, you know, as you know, there's like Sephora... Clean, target clean, and then ultra clean. And everybody has a clean or green or some sort of a standard, and it's not unified because it's not, no, it's not regulated. Yeah. So then it's like we had this huge Google Sheets with like, <laughs> all the ingredients and all the databases. And like it was like nearly a full time job. It was very annoying to do. Um, and so, it keeps getting updated too. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's really hard to keep up. But um, so Novi solves that problem for for other beauty founders. And so basically you just upload your ingredients and they tell you if you are complying with that retailer's standards or not. It's really good because they even go into details about, you know, finding you alternative ingredients if you have to. If, for instance, there's something that you're using, um, this is not recent for us, but for instance, something that a lot of beauty people will have heard about is phenoxetanol. So that's a preservative that was widely used in the industry for a very long time. All of a sudden, it became a bit of a kind of like a, an ingredient that people were, were not sure if it was good or not. There was a lot of controversy about, around it. We decided to change it and all this, but it was it took us a time, a, a while to understand what exactly, what other natural preservatives we could use uh, instead of phenoxetanol. And Novi makes that for you super easy if you are facing, you know, something like that in your formulations. And then they started expanding into sustainable packaging suppliers. So they also now have a database. So if you're looking for a specific um, suppliers, you can do it through them. And I feel like the quality of the suppliers that you can find is really good. So for instance, we found our PCR suppliers through them and, and it was great. And so, you know, sometimes you find um, these type of partners and I think it's uh, worth it to, 
give them a shout out because they're doing very well and they're a bunch of very nice people. So, uh, so yeah. that's one way to also look into, you know, how to make more sustainable choices. That's, yeah. That's a great one. That's really a great insight for fellow beauty founders uh, looking to be a little bit more sustainable um, with their brand. So thank you for that. Yeah, anytime. I'm, I, I'm all about sharing these things. I really have the philosophy that the pie is big and there's a bit for everybody. And like, it's just, I love um, being helped and I've been helped so many times by mentors and other people in the beauty industry, other founders. So anytime I have a chance to do the same, I'm, I'm always super happy. Yeah, to. there's a, a, I believe it's a female founder who's over it. So that was someone that we were looking at having um, on the podcast to kind of um, explain a little bit more because we just love like that connection of like the beauty and tech side of things too on it. And then I think it's just important for consumers to just understand how much brands are doing on the back end because you know a lot of times like you just see things on shelf but you just don't understand what the sustainability story or journey was of trying to like get it there and maybe revamp it to actually make it better or safer for people as well you know it's all very complex and i think yeah. that <laughs> that's what i really want people to understand especially in my world right because i come from the environmentalism space and i know how harsh we can be in our community on brands and brand founders, not really understanding that it's not so black and white. It actually is an incredibly complex uh, process to put a sustainable product um, on a shelf and get it out into the market. Yeah. So thank and you I mean, for, for instance, that. for us, I have another example, which was like, we are not certified organic, for instance. And, and that was another kind of like decision that we had to make at some point because we were sourcing ingredients that were super high quality. But for instance, turmeric, you know, like my the person who formulates our products, she's been working with this supplier in rural India for so many years. And they have like the most amazing turmeric. And that's a very important ingredient for us. But they don't have organic certifications there. Like, of course, it's organic. You know, it's like in the middle of like, um, you know, in the middle of nowhere and there's like no chemicals or anything involved. But so we struggled a lot taking that decision and we're back and forth, like, should we do it? Should we not do it? And at the end, it was like, well, if we want certified organic, we need to get less quality raw ingredients and more expensive. And so for us, it was like, OK, we will forget about this kind of like stamp and, and hopefully we'll do a, a good job explaining our customers, um, you know, how we select ingredients and, and how that how that works. But. As you know, the, the industry is not that regulated in many aspects. Um, obviously, Europe is way more regulated at this point. Um, you know, that's <laughs> where I'm from. So there's like mm -hmm. sometimes things that I give for granted. And, and then I was like, oh, wow, okay. So, but yeah, I think, I think <laughs> you know, a lot of people in the industry are, are working so hard to move the needle towards more regulation, which is going to be better for everybody, frankly. Yeah. Speaking of what you were talking about, Europe, just fun fact, one of the first trips I think my sister and I went on together as adults was to Barcelona. Oh, yeah. Where you you're from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Fun little tidbit. Did you have a good time? Oh, my goodness. Yes. We had so much fun. I mean, this was over a was decade a, ago, I think. This was a point, long time ago. That's a long time ago. Oh, five. Oh, yeah. It was a long time ago. No. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time. I think it was oh, it was oh seven, two thousand seven. I think. Nice. 
Yeah. yeah, I miss Barcelona a lot, especially in the long New York winters. Uh, yeah. oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, beautiful, beautiful place. Okay, I really want to talk about this because when I found out you um, were a part of this, I geeked out um, once I like kind of like read all the details about it. But it's Project Beauty Share. Can you please tell our listeners about that and how they can get involved if they if they want to? Yeah, for sure. So Project Beauty Share is an amazing organization that supports women in situations of social exclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be due to poverty, domestic abuse, drugs, any other, any situation that puts a woman in a situation, you know, uh, super fragile. And so the way they do that is by donating cosmetics and, and hygienic products to shelters and to other organizations that are supporting these women. And so the first time I heard about them, frankly, you know, I felt like, oh, is this going to be a bit shallow? Like to think that you can make any difference in someone going through this type of hardship by donating some beauty products. But then um, I, I got the chance to meet the founder, Julie, um, of Project Beauty Share, and she's been doing this for 25 years. And, and she was saying, you know, like sometimes these type of things go a long way towards regaining your dignity. You know, it's a small step toward, you know, regaining that dignity that, that you kind of lost through these horrible circumstances. Um, so, so that was kind of like one of those moments where you feel so connected with someone and, and like, you know, you feel so much admiration for what they've been building for so many years. Um, so we decided to partner with them and we do that through product donations. So every now and then we'll ship a ton of product to them so that they can donate it to these organizations. Uh, but we also kind of like support them financially for some of their events that they do. And um, the other thing that we did was when we were in 2020 and we kind of like did some PR outreach because we were rebranding, we started hearing so many beauty editors were like, please don't send me more products. I <laughs> I'm no longer going to an office. I mean, in my small New York yeah. apartment, I have boxes everywhere. I cannot have it <laughs> anymore. And, and I thought, oh, but wait, I mean, wow. you know, this would be an amazing opportunity to, you know, help them get rid of all these <laughs> boxes and stuff that they maybe no longer need or they already tried or they are not going to use because they are not going to review this at this point. And so we approached them and we were like, hey, would you like to, would you like some help getting rid of all these boxes? And they were like, yeah, that sounds interesting. So we partnered um, with an organization called Horderly and they are, you know, closet organizers like or home organizer, I, sh I should say. Oh. So we offer these beauty editors like a, a kind of like a consultation, either virtually or in person, depending on what they preferred um, because of, you know, the COVID situation, obviously to have someone go to their home or connect with them via Zoom and then help them organize their beauty closets. And so uh, besides that, we organized free shipping labels and we kind of like asked them to put anything that they didn't want to use or they had like just lightly used for, you know, just trying to put it in those boxes and ship them uh, to Project Beauty Share. So that's something that um, worked super well. Everybody was happy about it. Uh, Project Beauty Share were like, what is happening? You know, like all of a sudden they were receiving all these boxes with like so many amazing products um, from all these beauty editors that were so generous also because at the end of the day, you can do other things with this, right? Let's, let's, so they, they decided to donate this and 
And so then we opened it up uh, to our customers or anyone basically who reached out to us uh, through our website and requested uh, a free shipping label. We send it to them and they just need to put it in a bo- put in a box any products that they no longer want or like that, you know, are just lightly used. I mean, preferred is like an open and unused, but, you know, sometimes it's just like a sample. Or something. Yeah. Um, and then they get to ship them to Project Beauty Share for free. So we are, yeah, we, this is like kind of like a longstanding partnership. And I hope it is for many, many years to come because I, I love what Julie has That's built. Amazing. And um, yeah. I'm proud to have the opportunity to, to partner with them. I love this. And can I just say, coming from the influencer space, I can tell you that that is a gripe that um, a lot of us have is, you know, like me, I, I don't like accepting gifts from brands because it's just, it's too much. Like I don't want all the waste. Like for me, from a sustainability perspective, I try to turn down a lot of uh, PR gifts because then I just end up having like all this extra stuff that I don't need. And so I know with beauty influencers, that's kind of something that they're trying to figure out like, well, what do I do with all this extra stuff that I have? Stuff that I might just use once or don't even open at all. And now I just have like a closet full of this stuff. What do I do with it? So I know there are so many influencers, especially if there are any influencers or beauty influencers that are listening right now. If that's something that, you know, a project that you would love to to, to be a part of, you should definitely, um, you know, connect with Apto and, you know, see if you can, uh, you know, utilize the project Beauty Share to donate your your unused or gently used beauty products um, to a really good yeah, cause. Thank you. Yeah, please that's reach really out. Cool. Um, so my last question kind of has to do with like the top tips that you have for consumers to make their beauty routine more conscious. So you did get into one awesome jewel, which is basically, you know, using fewer, better things. So kind of like a whole deal based on what your philosophy was as like the brand was evolving and wanted to see if you had any other resources, tips or jewels for people who are listening today. So- so yes, I mean I think yes. I, that the, the number one is less is more. So re, be thoughtful about the things that you purchase, um, and I think you know it's like easier these days to do research about the brand values. You are not only buying products, you are bu- buying values. So I think it's important if you have the time to, um, you know, do some research about who is behind what you're buying and what they stand for, and um, you know even how you know, if, if they align with your lifestyle. So I think all these things for me at least are, are important these days when I make decisions. I think uh, another thing that is helpful is just um, to kind of like go through your stuff on a kind of like monthly, maybe not monthly, but as, as you know, often. I have a list and I, that's something that I implemented in 2020 when I was going through all this minimalist um, kind of like, discovery and once a month I tackle an area in my home so sometimes it's gonna be my kids uh, bedroom you know and I'm gonna go through their toys and I'm gonna select what I'm gonna donate and what I can throw and what I want to keep and I'll do the same with my closet and with the kitchen even you know like sometimes your pantry is like crazy there's things there that it's like come on nobody's using and just taking space so I think in general not only in beauty in general it's like take stock of what you have 
go through the things that you already have, see, rediscover, you know, um, I, I, this is something that I use for my kids, but it actually works for anything else. It's like I sometimes hide some of their toys that they like and I put them somewhere else. And like after two weeks, I will be like, oh, remember this? And they will be so excited about that toy that they had just not seen for a couple of weeks. So I think in general, that's another tip. It's just like um, rediscovering everything that you already own, which is so, 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 so much. Um, so those are things that work well for me. And I mean, frankly, one thing that has helped me, but it's not very usual, is that we move a lot. So we've been moving a lot for the last few years. I mean, in my 20s, I live in 10 cities in 10 years. So that was like nonstop. So that really helped me to have this approach of, you know, kind of like being used to going around with suitcases and moving. And and and, and so that kind of make it part of it. But then even now with a family, we've, we've moved a lot in the last few years. So that it's just very painful, frankly, but it's good. You know, it's just like it makes you go through your stuff and be like, OK, you know, it's too much or I need this or I actually never use that. And I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I'm an optimistic person, but I... I'm worried. And um, I think it's time for people to be a bit worried and and also use that when making decisions. It's like, we cannot continue like this. So we all need to be responsible about the decisions we make. And, and you know, every little thing counts. And as I said, you know, it's, it's really overwhelming when you look at it of, from this perspective of like, oh my God, is everything like, you know, climate change and like the wall is hitting and all these things. But at the end of the day, it's just going back to this place of control, which is what can I do better? And trying to apply this to your day-to-day life as as much as you can. You know, we are all here. We can all have our little impact on, on doing better without, and nobody has the power to change everything. So I think, you know, it both go both ways. Oh, I love that. Going back to the individual, right? You can't control um, what anyone else does, but you can control yourself and what you do and, you know, the small steps that you can make to uh, making this this world a better place and just doing better for the planet in general. So I, I really appreciate this. I, I feel like you are just so relatable, right? For like the average person, especially who might not feel like they as an individual can do much, but like, Think about it. Like, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier. Like, if we all get together collectively and do little things, it makes a big impact, right? It's not about just a few people doing, you know, sustainability perfectly. We need a lot of people doing it imperfectly, like you were mentioning earlier. So, like you said, like, uh, what can I do to just at least be better? Like, even if I can't be perfect, what can I do to be better? So, gosh, really appreciate your insights. Um, for this interview and for this episode, because I think it will really resonate with a lot of people who especially might be just starting out on their sustainability journey. And you present it in a way that makes it so much less intimidating for, you know, the average person. So thank you for that. Before we get ready to go, I just wanted to, um, you know, obviously say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. But then for anyone who's listening, where can they go to buy all your stuff? Are you on active on social, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter? Where can we find you? Where can we find the brand? And just let the people know. Yeah, yeah for sure. So you can find us at Apto Skincare on Instagram and TikTok. 
Um, I'm not super active on social media. <laughs> you social- got a brand to run. Yeah, I mean, our PR- you ain't got time for that. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm doing my best. Like, frankly, like they asked me to do one video once, and it took me a whole day, and I was like, I cannot do it. Like, I'm crazy. Um, so you know, what it's important to acknowledge one's strengths and weaknesses. I there's nothing that I do well. Social media, I love it. I mean, <laughs> I wish, but um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I just like, yeah, I'm not good at uh, producing content. I, I, I self awareness is a great quality to have. <laughs> we stand. Um, well, but thank it, you so much. This has been a lovely conversation. Thanks for uh, doing what you guys are doing. I think um, it's a great combo, you know, one that, that I really believe in, sustainability and beauty. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, beauty has a lot of power and yeah, we need to believe it. I mean, I remember always this story about um, how during um, very difficult times in history, like wars and etc., lipstick cells go up. And it's just because something so simple and small has the power to uplift the mood of mm. people, right? And and when you are having a hard time, something that may seem shallow, it has a lot of power in, in your emotional well-being. So I really believe in that. And so, you know, I think you guys are doing a great job um, putting together two very important things um, for our society, you know. Um, oh. so thank you. And thanks for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure. (laughs) All right. Thank you for tuning into Beauty and Impact today. If you got any gems from this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you're listening and show us some love by writing a review. It helps other beauties looking to make an impact just like you find the show so they can listen too. And while you're waiting for the next episode to drop, just go ahead and hit us up on Instagram at Beauty and Impact. We'd love to hear from you. All right, that's it. We'll catch you in the next episode with more green tea on beauty and sustainability. Beauty and Impact.